when Pastor Jonathan asked me to preach on this section of scripture, I said no. Um, when I first became a Christian, I decided that I would read through the entire Bible. And when I got to this section of scripture, I decided, no, I really don't want to read through. And, uh, and that's where I stopped reading. I knew that in order to preach this section of scripture, I would have to go through the whole Bible. I would have to start in the Garden of Eden, and then I would have to go uh, to the desert and to the uh, tabernacle and then to the temple, and then later on to Jesus, and then later on even to point to the end times. And also I'd have to study each article that was <coughs> in the tabernacle so that I would understand fully uh, what each article there meant. But Jonathan asked me three times, <coughs> and, and so I agreed. But I had no idea what I would do to preach on these verses. And so I did what I usually do, is I prayed. And I asked God, what, what would you have me? And I learned a long time ago that if you ask God for direction, he will give you direction. I've learned to depend on him, and I've learned that he will guide me. I know that God is with me and that he is with you also. Now, how many of you feel as though you hear from God? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Hearing from God is a very important aspect of being a Christian. It's, it's the most important aspect, really. And so I'm hoping that by the end of the sermon that you'll have a greater understanding of this, that you can actually hear from God. And so, as I said, I began to pray, and this is what God brought to mind. And at first, I didn't see any connection with this, so, but this is what God brought to mind. So in my mind, I saw and I remembered that I grew up on a small chicken farm in Dracut. And at the age of eight, my parents separated, and my mother took us, and we moved to the city of Lowell. So we lived first on a little chicken farm and went from there to a 12-family apartment building in probably in the worst, toughest section of Lowell, and I was lost there in that, in that new environment. I was totally lost, and I, I didn't understand things. People were really different, and I was lost. And so later on in life, I bought a house out in Chelmsford, out in the country again, and I tried to recreate what I had lost when I had left that home. So I began to take this house and I began to plant a pear tree next to the house and a couple of apple trees and a grapevine. And I even, in my mind, for the whole time I've lived there, I've desired to dill, uh, yeah, dig a well. Now, don't need a well, because we have town water, but I just wanted to somehow create that environment. And much to my wife's disapproval, 
I've always tried to keep the yeah just a little bit messy. And uh, it makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel back at home. And <laughs> so, so I told you all that. That's what God showed me. And I thought, well, that's, that's really not much help. <laughs> but when I finally agreed to preach on this section of Scripture, Jonathan told me, he said, you know, I have a book that I've been using through the book of Exodus that has a chapter on the tabernacle, and this might be helpful to you. And I thought, well, I have a lot of books and a lot of commentaries, but I'll take it and I'll look at it. And so uh, when I opened the book to the chapter, this is how the chapter began to read. It said, are you a wanderer or a nester? It said everybody is either looking for a home or trying to create a home. Can you see how that sounds familiar? And it took me back to what that little illustration that God had shown me, that I was one of those people that was felt lost and had tried to create a home. And so that kind of showed me that God was with me in this, in writing this sermon. And every time I write a sermon, I... Believe me, I depend on God because other than that, my sermons are really horrible. And uh, (laughs) but um, so when I saw that God had taken an interest in this sermon, I felt more relaxed. And I and I hope that you will understand that this isn't just for me, that God guides me. God is here to guide you, too. He's here for you. He will speak to you. He will help you when you seek him. And my hope is that you'll learn that you can trust him in all things. And so let's pray before we begin. God, I thank you that you are a God who desires to dwell with your people, a God that loves us and a God who is close by to guide us and to direct us. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts this evening. Amen. So we are going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he placed Adam and his new bride in a perfect place. Now, it was a perfect place, and that's important to remember for later on in the service. When man sinned, he was kicked out of the garden, and life began to become hard for him. It wasn't perfect anymore. Adam was lost, and there was a divide between him and God. In the garden, God and man walked very close together. Man knew that he could depend on God. Just think if you lived with God. How hard would your life be? A bill comes in, you hand it to him. You know, he pays the bill. Car breaks down, he touches the car, it's brand new. Living with God was pretty easy for Adam in the garden. But now he's kicked out. But God had a plan. He would begin to recreate this perfect place that he had with Adam. I don't know if this is...
So as man was outside of the garden, God was there watching him from a distance. He kept a close eye on him. God continued to love mankind, even though he was outside. When God saw his people in slavery in Egypt, and they began to cry out to him, he heard their cry, and God sent Moses to rescue his people. And so Moses went in and did God's bidding and brought the people out of Egypt. And God led the people from Egypt to the promised land. The promised land was to be a taste of what this Eden was like. God was bringing his people back. He was recreating this perfect environment for them to live in and for him to live in. And the tabernacle is one step along the way. It's one place along the way to bring God's people from where they were back home. All of the tabernacles, all of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings were little symbols, symbols that were things that man would recognize once again. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, <laughs> so, uh, so all of these symbols, all of these things that would be in the tabernacle were symbols of what was in the past and what would be in the new Eden when man was in heaven with his God once again at the end of time. Remember in the beginning that God created everything, but now at the tabernacle, man receives the instructions to build this tabernacle. And the tabernacle means dwelling. So this was to be a dwelling place. God was dwell, going to dwell with man once again, kinda. It wasn't going to be perfect like when he walked with man in the garden. It wouldn't be like that. It would be just sort of, he was there, his presence was there with him, but it wouldn't be quite the same. Everything was made from the finest materials, and everything had to be precise. This wasn't just a place that was willy-nilly. It was perfect symbols of everything. The tabernacle was mostly like a tent, because God's people were on the move. And God would go with them with this tabernacle everywhere they went. And at this time, I'd like if you could put up the first slide. This is a picture of the, of the tabernacle. You see the fence around the outside. And this is the Holy of Holies that you see within. And that's the place where God would actually reside inside of that closed-in tent within the outside. And now the second, the second um, one shows the whole area where you see the fence around the whole outside area. And then you can see that that tent is on the left side. And the other articles that you, we read about are there within the courtyard of this 
of the tabernacle. And so that's just to give you some idea of what it looked like. And we'll look at a few of the articles that are in there. And I can't spend too much time on each of these. This, this sermon could be like, well, it could either be a six-hour sermon or it could be three or four sermons, you know. Um, anybody have anything to do tomorrow? <laughs> okay, we'll try to wrap it up by 10 at least, so. So there was to be a lampstand with buds on it and blossoms, given light. And this is a reminder to the people of the tree of life that God is light and that he provides the light that people need. There would be a table for bread. And this table is a place where fellowship with God would take place. But at this table... There wouldn't be, God would not be at that table as in times to come. But it was a symbol of that. The bread is God's provision for us that God provides. Remember when all the way through the desert, as you've heard in the sermons in the past, that God was providing. At every step of the way, it was God that provided a lot of times we think that we're providing for ourselves, but really God, it's God that provides for us. There would be an ark, which would be a box where it would be God's footstool. Isaiah 66 1 says, The heaven, the heaven is God's throne, and the earth is his footstool. Well, the ark was to be his footstool at this place. God would still be in heaven, but his feet would be resting with us on earth. Later in Jeremiah chapter 3, we see that the city of Jerusalem would become God's throne in the New Testament. Or not in the New Testament, I'm sorry. Before the New Testament, but after when the people finally settled into the land. God's people were to take these tablets of the testimony and put them inside the ark. We call them the Ten Commandments, but they were more than that. They were actually a treaty between God and his people. There were two tablets, and most of the people think, because you see this all the time, that there were five commandments on each tablet. More than likely, that wasn't the case. More than likely, there were the Ten Commandments were on each of the tablets. This was a contract, and there were two copies. This was a treaty. One copy was to be with man, and one copy would go with God. And so, what was happening is, God was having man put God's copy inside of this ark, close to where man was. And man would put his copy there too. So in a sense, God and man were close to each other at this time. And this is important too, because later on, you're going to see the significance of that. God kept his copy where he was dwelling with man. On top of the ark was a cover, a place of atonement, 
This cover was made of pure gold. It would show people, it was called the mercy seat, and this would show people that God's mercy was over the law. His mercy was greater than his judgment of the law. This cover would also point to Jesus. So as good as all of this was, it wasn't home. Man still had a problem, and the problem that man has is sin. That was man's problem. God was near and close to us, but the people were still on the outside. And when you look at this picture, the people were allowed in here, but only the priest was allowed. If we could go back to the first pick, only the priests were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, in, when, in the, um, into, into this Holy of Holies. And there were cherubim on each side of the mercy seat on the ark. And they were there as a sign to say, don't come in, I'm protecting this. This is where God's glory is being held. Don't come close. This is just like the angels outside of the Garden of Eden protecting the Garden of Eden so that man could not come back in. But this is what there was outside. There was outside, there was the altar right in front where everyone could see. The main activity of the tabernacle was taking place there. This is where man would have to make sacrifices for his sin. Man would have to sacrifice daily, every day, sacrifices were being made to sin. Man would be reminded again and again and again how much of a sinner he was. Man would live with God in his midst, but he would have the law of a constant reminder of just how sinful he is. Man would live in shame as the law would condemn him every single day. How many of you can see your sin? None of you? One person. Wow. The rest of you are despicable. How many of you, if you can't see your sin, then the next question is not going to be real relevant. Uh, how many of you are actually ashamed of your sin? Okay, more of you are ashamed than can see. Well, okay. How many of you are actually awake tonight? <laughs> if I'm going to stay awake, you're going to have to too, so. Well, as time went on, God's people would get to the promised land, and at some point, they would build a temple. This temple would be much more permanent than the tabernacle. The tabernacle had to be moved as they kept going from place to place, but the temple was permanent. In the same way, in the temple, the, the sacrifices would be made, and the priests would have to make sacrifices daily, for the sins of the people. None of this was perfect in any way, but it, it led to the next step, which was God would send his son to dwell among us. 
He would be called Emmanuel, God is with us. He would be the one that would actually sit at that table with sinners. He would be the one that would be the light of the world. He would be the one who would become the final sacrifice on the altar. So no longer were there being sacrifices made for sin. He would become the perfect sacrifice. He would cover our sins. He would make a new treaty with man. That's what the new, when you hear the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, what that means is the old covenant, the old treaty and the new treaty. Jesus would make a new treaty, and this would be a treaty of mercy and grace instead of, of law. A, tra- a, a treaty that would save man and take away man's shame. That's why he came. This treaty would be written on men's hearts. So remember now, there were the two tablets. One of the tablets now, the one that man has, is now written on his heart. And at Passover, the Holy Spirit would be sent to dwell within us. So we would have our copy of the law written on our hearts. And at that time and at this time, now we have God's copy of the Holy Spirit living within us. Now God is living within us. For us as a believer today, God's dwelling place is not in the temple It's not in the tabernacle, but it's within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do not let, um, I'm sorry, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? God is with us, not kind of, but fully at this point. Do you realize that God can only dwell in a perfect place? God can't dwell in a place that isn't perfect. For God to put his law in his heart, in our hearts, in his Holy Spirit within us, we too have to be perfect. He cannot dwell in a dwelling place that's not perfect. This is possible because our sins are gone. This is the message of the gospel is that your sins are now gone. Jesus paid for them and took them away. That's the message of the gospel. Through the blood of Jesus, you're made clean. You may not feel clean, but God has declared that you are clean. And if God declares that you're clean, you're clean. You're the new tabernacle. You're the place where God dwells. And yet, even with all of that, we're still not completely home. And so looking forward, we read the words of of Jesus from the book of John. And these are the words, you hear these, I, I used these last Saturday at a funeral. So in John 14, 1 to 3, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it would not so, I would not have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back to take you with me so that you will be where I am. When Jesus spoke these words, the people at that time fully understood what he was saying. At that time, when a man got engaged to a woman, he would leave her and he would go back to his father's house. He would build a room onto the house. And when he was finished building the addition onto that house, he would go and get his bride and bring her back to live with him. This is exactly what Jesus is saying that he is doing. He's going to prepare a place for us. He's building a room in his father's house for all of the believers. And then he's going to come back and he's going to take us with him so that we will be dwelling with him in his new home and in our new home. God has a plan and his plan is for us to dwell with him for eternity. He was there with man in the Garden of Eden. He was there with man in Egypt in the desert. He was there with man in the time of Jesus. And he's here now with us. And he will be with us forever. So what's What's the message from all of this today? Some of you may feel lost like I felt when I left the farm as a child and moved into the city. Some of you may be going through a time where you feel like the people in Egypt, like you're kind of a slave. You just work real hard to make ends meet. You struggle. You struggle through life. Some of you may struggle with relationships. It's not easy. Whatever your struggle is, some of you may struggle with loneliness, depression, fear, anxiety. That's what a lot of us deal with here on earth. Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult to see your way forward. Some of you may know that God is with you because you hear it here every week. But you can't see God day by day in your daily affairs. You may feel alone. Some of you may even feel the weight of your sin. Feel discouraged with yourself. You know how bad you are and you feel, some of you may feel like, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. I'm not like the other people at church. They're all real good people, you know. Satan would have you to believe that God is against you when God is actually for you. He would like you to feel lost, alone, ashamed, condemned. Not like what one preacher said. He said, when Satan reminds you of your past, Remind him of his future. When Satan reminds me of my sin, I just like to sing this little hymn back to him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 
God's son, Jesus, died on the cross to take away my sin and my shame, your sin and your shame. I don't need to carry it anymore. It's gone. All of that is gone. And if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, he's done the same for you. He's made his dwelling place within you. He claims that you're perfect because he's washed your sins away. If you don't know Jesus, you can make him your savior today too. Just see Pastor Jonathan or me after the service. We'd be happy to talk to you. The message of the tabernacle is that God loves you and he desires to be with you every day, all of the way. And just as God speaks to me and guides me, he can speak to you too. You need to be ready and listen. You need to ask him to speak to you. You need to understand that God is dwelling within you. It's pretty perfect. It's not quite the same as it's going to be when we get to heaven. But it's pretty cool to know that you have God living inside of you, that you have God that is on your side. You have God that has paid for all of your sins. You have God that's gone to prepare a new dwelling place for you. We need to learn to hear his voice. We need to learn to trust him. He has a covering for your sin. And he has a place prepared for you to dwell with him for eternity. May God bless you. Thank you.